Hello, my name is Elika Burma, and I'm happy to welcome you to this podcast on Employment as Accelerator from the Accelerate Hub, based at the Universities of Oxford and Cape Town. This recording was made on the 19th of October, 2021. This is the second podcast in our second Accelerate Hub series on subjects related to intervention and acceleration in African contexts. Our project is funded by the UKRI GCRF. I'm the co-lead of Work Package 3 in the Accelerate Hub, and I work together with Chris Desmond and Hilary Musarewa. I'm also a professor of world literature in English at the University of Oxford, and I'm interested in narrative as intervention. A quick word on the Accelerate Hub before we launch in and how it relates to our topic today, which is employment. The Accelerate Hub's goal is to improve outcomes for 20 million adolescents across the African continent. It sets out to achieve this by identifying interventions that have the potential to improve outcomes related to the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. I'm really delighted to be joined today by three experts on employment in Africa who thought a lot about the question from different vantage points on the continent. They are Iyayinka Kusimensa, Keba Omar Jagne, and Lucas Hensel. Together, we're going to explore how we might create employment opportunities for adolescents across the continent. We'll focus specifically on young people and this all important question of creating and sustaining jobs. I'll now introduce the three speakers very briefly in reverse alphabetical order. And after that, I'll also ask each one to say a quick word about themselves and their interests before we launch into the main conversation. Iyinka, Omar, and Lucas, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation today. So Iyinka Kusimensa is a PhD student in sociology at the University of Cambridge, and her research focuses on youth employment in West Africa. She holds degrees from the universities of Harvard and Cambridge, and currently She's studying how the social networks of self-employed young people in Ghana and Nigeria shape their transition into self-employment and into their working lives. Iyinka hails from Ibadan, Nigeria. Omar Jagne is the, lead, is the team lead of the UNDP, the Gambia Accelerate Lab. He's educated at the universities of Sussex, UK and Hofstra University, USA. He's also managed a boutique management consultancy and founded an educational startup called Making Our Visions and Aspirations Reality, acronym MOVAR. Lucas Hensel is a postdoctoral researcher at the Gingwa School of Management, Peking University. He's also a visiting researcher at the Center for the Studies of African Economies at the University of Oxford. He works on how the job search process shapes employment outcomes for youth in South Africa and Ethiopia, and is currently involved in exploring this question from both job seekers and employment perspectives. So, hi everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I wonder if you could each 
just say hi in the same order in which I, I introduced you. Ienka. Hello, everyone. Good morning. And I'm very happy to be on this podcast this morning. I've been always interested in issues of youth employment. And so it's nice to be part of this conversation. Thanks so much, Ienka. Omar. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Omar Jang from the Gambia uh, with the UNDP Accelerator Lab, where we've explored some issues of youth unemployment, uh, among other things. And I very much look forward to this conversation with my co-panelists and, and with you, of course, Dr. Elka. Uh, thank you. Hey, yeah. Thank you for the invitation to this podcast. Um, I'm a researcher and I've worked for the last four or five years now on topics related to youth unemployment in South Africa and more recently in Ethiopia. And I'm really passionate about finding ways that help young people find jobs. And once they found them to make them stay in these jobs and to live to their fullest potential. Great, thank you so much, Lucas. And thank you so much everyone for, for joining this conversation today. So to, to kind of get stuck in and to, and to really start exploring this question of, of employment, um, you know, how it taps into young people's potential, um, uh, how we create employment opportunities. What I'd like to do is to come to each one of you in turn and to ask you to say something about your work, your research, your experience with uh, employment and job creation. You clearly are all... Um, you know, deeply involved in thinking about these issues. So if you could just briefly at this point, um, say a bit more about your work in this area. Iyayinka, starting with you. So my um, work with youth employment comes more from the angle of my research. And my research for the past three years has focused on self-employed young people in Ghana and Nigeria. Um, entrepreneurship is part of the policy of the countries I focus on their youth employment policy in um, Ghana, Nigeria, and in other African countries. But I think there are a lot of misconceptions and misperceptions about entrepreneurship and self-employment. And there's a lot of focus on just creating jobs through self-employment without enough focus on what's the quality of work that is being created to this angle of entrepreneurship. And so that's what really brought me to this topic of looking at the um, experiences of self-employed young people, both qualitatively through interviews, and then also um, doing carrying out the survey in both Ghana and Nigeria to find out about their quali the quality of their work, and also to find out about the context in which they're embedded in, so to find out about the kind of support mechanisms that they have in place, their social support mechanisms, and so that youth employment interventions are designed in light of this context and in light of creating, not just creating jobs, but creating good quality jobs where young people can find a sense of fulfillment, are able to create meaningful livelihoods that can support themselves. So Ienka, if, if I understand correctly, you are partly involved in in um, self-presentation training. So you look at how the young people kind of come to the point of presenting themselves for work. So I'm more focused on self-employment and entrepreneurship to, to, 
to clarify that. So I'm interested in young people who run their own businesses, young people who are entrepreneurs. So that's my own focus. I don't focus a lot on um, um, so job seekers in my own research, even though I think that's a very important aspect of youth employment policy, connecting young people with jobs that are out there and preparing them for that process. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Ianka. And how about yourself, Omar? Thank you. So w with my work, uh, it's, it's concentrated with the UNDP Accelerator Lab, which was uh, structured in 2019 in uh, 60 countries around the world, of which 30 were in Africa. So when we uh, started the labs, um, what each of us were looking at at the individual labs was to set up a, a frontier challenge that we could tackle collectively. And when I say collectively, three uh, positions were recruited, a head of experimentation, a head of solutions mapping, and a head of exploration. So in addition to uh, being the team leader, I also double as the head of experimentation. And when we had identified this uh, frontier challenge, as a result of um, uh, uh, clandestine migration, as a result of uh, an inflated um, uh, unemployment uh, 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 group in the Gambia and Cluster, and as a result of also just trying to ensure that whatever we started the lab with um, had the most reach, we decided to run an experiment on whether or not we can create greater uptake for job matching services um, by introducing digital technologies into the equation. Um, so this was very interesting for us because um, UNDP is a development organization first and foremost. So when you have a body like the Accelerator Lab trying to operate in mimic practices that are in the uh, private sector and the startup and entrepreneurial ecosystem, as my uh, co-panelists there just mentioned, it creates um, pain points naturally in how we work. Um, so what we were tasked to do was essentially to help our colleagues in the different clusters within UNDP, but also our government partners, because UNDP mainly works with the national governments in the countries where it operates, to try to ensure, like I said, that there was uptake for these job matching services, but that the reach uh, uh, of these services uh, was at the most remote parts of the countries. And the way that we went about doing that was using mobile technologies, um, uh, and in particular, SMS short codes. Um, of course, it had to be in, in, in addition with uh, 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 promotional material and advertising, and we did that using print, digital, um, uh, television media as well. Uh, and as a result, we, we, we ended up focusing on the demand side of, 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 of this sector, of course, uh, and, and, and we're able to have some pretty interesting results um, working with one of the two private companies that did have and operate a job matching service. Uh, and, 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 and at the end of that experiment, we also switched into the supply side, which I can talk about later. But in essence, um, we showed a demand for this service um, in all parts of the country and in, in most age categories as well. Uh, over. Thank, thanks, Omar. Um, gosh, I, I, as you were picking up, th there's some very interesting overlap, which we can explore with um, with, with what Inc is talking about from the vantage point of of Ghana and, and Nigeria. Lucas, um, how about your, your work in, in this area? My work is also quite related to the broad topics that have been brought up so far. One big area that I'm working on is also the matching process between firms and work seekers, how they find each other in the labor market, basically. 
And uh, we are looking, like I work with several teams in several locations on these things. Um, but one of the main topics that kind of it goes throughout my research and that we found to play a very important role is the role of information. And it's both the information about uh, job opportunities, but importantly, it's also information about the match itself, how well a work seekers suited for certain positions and for work seekers to know kind of um, how well these positions are suited to them. So it's both sides of the labor market, if you want, that both firms need additional information about work seekers and work seekers um, need to kind of, uh, well, it helps them if they have a better idea of whether like they are good fit for the vacancy as well, because then they can target their scarce resources um, that they have more efficiently at vacancies uh, that they actually stand a chance of getting. More generally, I think one of the key takeaways um, on a descriptive level is that job search is often extremely expensive. I'm not so much working in the field of self-employment, but rather like wage employment, be it casual or formal. But we found that job search is incredibly expensive and any kind of intervention that facilitates that process has the potential to increase employment rates and hopefully also productivity within firms. So there, I think the evidence is less clear yet and that's something that we are currently uh, looking at. Thanks, Thank thanks so much um, for, for those initial thoughts. Could we explore the question of some of the challenges, trying to put them together that, that um, you've all really you know, picked up talking about self-presentation, self-entrepreneurship, talking about match um, and talking about, you know, the job search being, being expensive. Um, what in your experience of you know, advising, reaching out to, um, creating you know, social media channels um, to reach out to young people, what are the particular um, issues that you've encountered with that reach out and, and, and how have you gone about addressing those challenges? I mean, Lucas, you've just been speaking and you were just actually talking about some of the challenges of expense. So I wonder if I, if I could turn to you first with this question of challenge and how you've addressed. Yes, sure. So um, one project that we are currently working on at the moment um, explores the roles of work seekers' beliefs about their own skills. So what we find in our data is that work seekers don't actually have a lot of good information at what they are good at. That's partially due to the um, education systems and the context that we work on where um, they don't receive a lot of useful feedback apparently. And they, as we mostly speak about use, they haven't received a lot of feedback on the labor market either. And if so, mostly negative feedback. So what we specifically find is that work seekers often don't really know whether they are better at like jobs that require communication skills, for example, or jobs that require more numeracy skills, all kind of at a relatively lo low entry level, but still there's 
substantive differentiation between those kind of jobs. So one of the interventions that we test is uh, testing workers, having them take some relatively simple and numeracy and communications and, and literacy tests, and then providing them with information about their performance on these tests. And we find that um, just providing these work seekers with information makes them target uh, the job applications better. At least that's what our data suggests. And then um, ultimately uh, leads to them you know, earning more after two to three months, two to three months after um, receiving that information. So that's a relatively low cost and easy to implement intervention that um, might improve work seekers prospects on the labor market. Fantastic, thank you. So. So uh, um, a questionnaire is, 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 is one good way in which to address some of these challenges. Um, and in, in your work, Omar, to, to turn to you. Yes, I think um, when, when we started the experiment, we, we definitely anticipated the challenges. And, and one of the challenges that we knew, even though we were focusing on the demand side for these services, was the number of jobs that were gonna be available on a monthly basis. I mean, this was the main uh, concern about challenges and how we were gonna uh, uh, try to have to address that before we even uh, established ourselves. Uh, the second thing was there was just lack of disaggregated data. We did not know who was applying from where and the age categories and things along those lines. Um, Finally, uh, uh, we also knew that uh, there was a concentration of the jobs that were posted coming from either the private sector or the development organizations. But oddly enough, nothing was coming from the public sector. And they're the largest employer in the country. Um, there were a few others, um, but the main one I'd like to concentrate on was just the low literacy rate of the population when we talk about digital literacy. So if we're talking about individuals subscribing using SMS short codes. And there's generally a 56, 57% overall literacy rate and the digital literacy rate is even lower. That creates concerns for uptake of the service, right? Um, and, and finally, I mean, I think just the confidence um, and uh, that the, the users could have in this platform because Gambia is such a small market. I mean, it's a population of 2 million people uh, uh, and, and there's only a limited number of jobs that individuals can compete for. So for us, these were some of the major challenges that we were uh, 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 facing. Um, the other issue, I think my, my co-panelists mentioned there about the, the, the expense factor and the cost factor, uh, we also faced. And as UNDP, if we're going into experimentation mode, uh, we knew that we were going to have to treat it as a pilot. We knew that we were going to have to sponsor uh, the, the the program for a certain period of time. And this is exactly what we did for a five-month period. We had to incur the costs of all the SMS charges that the end users were incurring. Um, and the challenge, of course, with any experimentation is whether or not the service would sustain itself thereafter. Um, uh, and, and, and we did have challenges when, when, we, <laughs> when we got to that stage as well. But I think um, when UNDP does these kinds of experiments, um, the private sector always has to be ready uh, or even the public sector for a possible handover. And I think that that's really the essence of the accelerator lab for those who don't understand it. There is a handover process where we come and do short experimentations 
on, on several issues, uh, be able to explore topics uh, and then hand them over, whether it be to one of our clusters or one of our partners. Um, but the challenge is at least the main one for us, we're on low literacy, uh, low digital literacy, uh, and, and in particular, the low number of jobs that were available on a month to month basis. So in that case, um, and this is something we, we can explore again, um, um, so in that case, was self-entrepreneurship one of, one of the ways in which your Accelerator Lab considered going? Uh, no, because of the fact that we had the International um, uh, uh, Trade Center in the Gambia, ITC, working through a project called the Youth Empowerment Project. And they uh, entered the landscape in 2016 for a four-year project to intervene with, with that, that uh, uh, cluster of society entrepreneurs, those trying to start their own businesses. So we did not want to duplicate uh, uh, the efforts and we were focusing more on already available jobs. Um, so the short answer is no, uh, the ITC project was doing that. And we just tried to focus again on existing jobs. But at the same time, um, we did at a later stage have a supply side to the experiment where we were trying to focus on increasing the number of jobs. Uh, there, the challenges were not too different. The main challenge there was that we could not find a way to break this barrier, even when we sponsored the packages for different associations. And I can go into details about who those are, but just quickly, one of those packages we offered to the uh, government, the um, uh, uh, public, uh, the public sector, and we still could not break that barrier of having public sector jobs coming onto the platform so that we can increase the number of jobs on a month to month basis. Thanks Omar. Gosh, there's, there's so many interesting leads there. Um, I'd like to turn to Ia Yinka uh, with, with this question of um, challenges. Um, again, I'm sure there'll be sort of you know, overlap and interplay um, between some of what your research has found. Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of my research on youth entrepreneurs or self-employed young people in Ghana and Nigeria, I mean, in talking to them and in the survey, what they have expressed as their own challenges in terms of having to start their own businesses or run their own businesses is issues of one, access to capital, access to um, the resources that they need to set up their business. Also, um, an issue is um, skills. So access to being able to improve their skills or develop their skills. There are also a lot of self-employed young people who are in unskilled self-employment, which is quite different from skilled self-employment. And so, for example, those who drop out of school, those who are not able to complete their education, those who are not able to go to vocational training, they often find themselves with unskilled self in unskilled self-employment, which doesn't really lead to high income gains over a long period of time, as opposed to those that actually have education or vocational skills in um, different areas, maybe um, automechanics auto or electronics or other areas. Um, then there's also the issue of um, isolation or lack of connection to mentors and other social networks that can connect them with the resources that we have. And so something that I found in my research is, for example, those that come have um, maybe family members in the same line of business that could be helpful in terms of connections to capital and other resources that they need in order to start their businesses. And then um, also issues of infrastructure. So issues of 
like for example, especially in Nigeria, issues of access to things like electricity, water to run their businesses, that's also a huge issue for self-employed young people. Thank, thanks so much, Inka. So, so what I'm kind of pulling out of um, what you've all three been saying is that the link-up of um, the the young person, the job seeker, with a sense of their own skills, and then with the wider job market and, if you like, the infrastructural context is really, really crucial. I think all of you, your different ways, you touched on communication um, and improving access to the job market through communication. What, what particular factors, issues have you encountered with uh, facilitating and improving self-presentation through communication? Um, I mean, Omar, you've touched on on social media, um, Lucas, you've you've touched on um, the young people not being that aware of 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 their skills, what they're good at, and a, a questionnaire helping. I assume that's also through some form of social media. Um, Iyinka, likewise, um, there were issues of communication you were touching on. Um, I, I wonder if you could talk about um, really this question of whether greater access to uh, social media and digital literacy um, um, is helpful for job seekers in, in the context that, that you studied. If I can turn to, as, uh, as you were just um, speaking about these things, Ian, if I can turn to you again. Okay. <clears throat> so um, in my own work on self-employed young people, I mean, definitely social media and digital literacy is incredibly important. I mean, for some of the people I spoke to, that was a very important way they were able to access their potential clientele. And so being able to post, um, for maybe if you're in craft, so like fashion designing, being able to post your work on social media or in other trades, if you're in food processing or in catering, being able to post your work on social media is really important um, to reach clientele. I mean, even especially with the COVID pandemic that happened, and that um, severely affected self-employed young people. And so for those who are digitally literate and able to transition to using social media and other modes, they had a serious advantage over those who are digitally illiterate. And so were kind, kind of only boxed into physical contact with customers. Thanks, Inka. And, 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 and how about... Um... How about, I'm just going to vary the order a bit for a moment. How, how, how about you, Lucas, um, on the question of, oh. of communication? So one, uh, I think there are two aspects to it. One, um, I fully agree with Omar, the kind of access to digital media is very important or seems to be very important. In fact, our partner um, in South Africa, the Harambe Youth, Youth Employment Accelerator, um, is currently building and has now built um, an online matching platform of the kind where they pay for all of uh, the job seekers' data. So they can access the job search platform even if they don't have any 
money on their phones, which is crucial given that the general cost of job search, and I'm coming back to this topic, is very high. This is like not based on direct um, research that we've done, but just a general observation. Another form of communication that we found very useful for job seekers is these skills that I told you about that work seekers don't really know all that much about themselves. Firms don't know so much about them either. So when they see a work uh, like a job seeker, they don't actually know what kind of skills the job seeker has. Have most often, not always, but quite often, the like um, school reports and so on don't really provide a good view because firms find it difficult to judge the quality of the school that people are coming from and the like, level of instruction. So. Another intervention that we did to test this is to actually certify uh, the work seekers their skills. And we did this mainly on paper, exactly because we had issues of digital literacy or digital access, both um, as a lot of work seekers didn't really have the means to regularly access internet. So we actually printed them a bunch of certified uh, like of reports that had them our official logo on it and certified their skills and encouraged them to use it with their applications. And that increased the employment rates by around five percentage points after, um, after two to three months as well. So that's in addition to kind of telling the work seekers themselves about their skills, helping them credibly communicate their skills to employers actually also helps them find jobs. So that source of communication and is very important and the accessibility of that is very important as well. We offered work seekers to send them the certificates via email so that they could use it in their online applications. Very few took us up on that because they don't have a computer at home. They have to go to internet cafes to kind of use this, uh, like use email. They hardly check their emails. They on submit almost all their applications offline. So it's kind of, while in theory, it would be good for them to be online, in practice, we actually had to do this intervention pretty much offline for it to work in the context of it's, uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. So interesting. Omar, so you also mentioned paper. So is it was this also something in terms of communications and improving communications for access to the job market that, that, that you discovered? Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, we use three three platforms. Uh, we use print media, uh, uh, digital media, and of course, um, uh, social media. So with the print media, we focus mainly on posters and billboards. And these were placed at very strategic locations like transit points, uh, 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 transit centers, uh, ferry terminals, youth centers, and, and the like. For our uh, uh, radio and TV uh, campaigns, what we did there was we created a jingle working with unconventional partners, because this is something that the Accelerator Lab also tries to promote. So we worked with a folklore group to create a jingle that we aired on the radio during prime time uh, and rush hour periods. Uh, this led to some level of uh, uptake for the service, and we decided to add a music video and aired it on television during prime time news. And this also helps us. These are the kinds of short experiments that I'm talking about where we can see about whether the service is uh, 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 being used or not. Uh, for social media, we just uh, promoted these two me uh, media files that I, that I mentioned. Uh, and they were also 
successful in helping us capture a demographic that was difficult to, 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 to captivate. Um, and, and that's the lower end of the youth demographic, right? Now we're talking about recent high school graduates to uh, early college goers. Um, but when we were looking at now the supply side, um, we had to add a different angle which uh, was, was, was a bit of luck as well. And I think that that's something that's there with experimentation sometimes. Um, uh, the Gambia's first uh, taxi billboard company had just started operating just when we were switching to the supply side. So what we did there was we, using the same SMS short code, just promoted it this time, in addition to the medias that I've already mentioned, using the taxi billboard service. And that worked out very well as, uh, also, uh, although not as successful as we would like, as I mentioned some of the challenges earlier, but it was still a way that many people had not seen um, uh, uh, for advertising purposes. And we were able to show the, the, the utility of it. Finally, I just wanted to mention with regard to the challenges and the job seekers themselves communicating their lack of skills or their um, ability to do a certain uh, a task or, or just skill sets in general. What we did there was, uh, again, a bit of luck played a, a role here as well. Our implementing partner was also providing uh, CV writing workshops and was also providing interviewing uh, uh, workshops and sessions. So when COVID hit and we knew that it wasn't gonna be enough just to advertise the service, we also ventured into providing interviewing and CV writing skills for recent graduates um, at our national university. And that helped play a major role in having these young job seekers be able to communicate their skill sets on paper, but also just be able to present themselves to prospective employers. Um, so this was quite helpful. And again, uh, of all the three platforms, I would say definitely that print media um, was very helpful. Being able to put the billboards up and being able to put the posters on places like ferry terminals where people had not really identified as being a source of uh, uh, information for people. Uh, that that for us was 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 pretty innovative and something that we we're proud of. But overall, I do believe that uh, uh, we had a bit of luck in, in in the right services being available at the right time. One and two, also having the right implementing partner who was able to kind of cover some of the gaps that we saw along the way. Fantastic! I I I love how you were touching on the role of luck in some of this. Sometimes it is just a kind of a lucky synergy that you know that happens to work, as you were saying about the taxi billboards. And how about yourself, Inka, in terms of communications in, in, in the context um, where, where you've been um, looking? Yeah, I don't think I've really um, encountered any specific interventions targeted at uh, self-employed young people in terms of their use of digital media and communications. But I mean, I think definitely there is um, room in that regard for them to be especially targeted because of the way the world is moving and the rise of e-commerce and a lot of communication online. And so if they are working in that space, I mean, if they are trying to get their services and goods across to people, it's really important that um, they are um, trained in skills and digital literacy, how to get their stuff online, how to get their wares online. I mean, some of them are working in different kinds of crafts, jewelry, and things like that, how they can reach more um, customers and potential clientele online. I think that's um, really an important space in which um, interventions for um, youth entrepreneurs can go. Thanks so much, Inka. I'm now going to, um, to ask quite a, um, a kind of challenging question um, for all three of you, um, and we'll see where it goes. Um, 
having listened to each other speaking about your different um, projects, accelerator labs um, in in the different uh, countries um, where where you work, um, do you have particular questions for each other? I mean, it's, it seems it seems to me that. Um, you know, there there was um, something about the taxi billboards that um, that Omar was talking about that might be relevant to the Johannesburg context that you work on, for example, Lucas. Or um, yeah, so so I'm just I'm just going to throw it open for a moment and give you a moment to. To, to address each other and ask questions of each other if you have questions. Yeah, I indeed have a question for Omar, and I think you touched on it uh, already, but given that our partner in South Africa is currently also in the process of developing a job search platform and is subsidizing it, it's subsidizing the data for the work seekers, um, and as far as I understand it, not currently charging anything um, to the uh, firm side either. I'm wondering um, about the kind of financial viability of these platforms and the experience that you've made there. It's kind of handover that you mentioned. Whether you think that these platforms actually do have a like, sustainable business model or whether you think that even in the long term, they'll have to be run by either NGOs, governments, or as in our case, a social enterprise. Um, my experience and feeling suggests that it's very hard to actually have a sustainable business model, especially if the purpose of these platforms is to focus on the kind of lower end labor market, that is entry level, um, uh, work seekers that don't necessarily have a university degree or so where like there's little money to be made from the platform perspective. Great, thank, thank you. And, and just harvesting sort of quest, cr crossways questions for a moment. Um, Omar and, and Iyinka, before, before Omar addresses um, Lucas's question, do either of you have points you'd like to make about what the other panelists have said. I'm really just kind of trying to suggest some synergies here, whether we can learn from each other. Iyinka. Um, I think my question both for Lucas and Uma was, um, I'm just interested more in terms of the context of the job seekers. And so on average, what were their education levels? And what kind of jobs and industries were they were they going to? And specifically for Omar, he did talk about like a shortage in, in terms of the demand side. So the demand for these job seekers. And so what um, industries were they able to get jobs in? And in terms of room for growth and expanding the demand side for jobs, where he sees the Gambia going in that regard. Omar, I think there's a those are both uh, issues or questions uh, directed at, at, at yourself. So um, the ball's in your court. Uh, thank you uh, for, for those questions and thank you, Elke. Um, I think for, for me, um, what we are considering when it comes to sustainability um, is that 
well, firstly, it's a question that the labs all uh, have to ask ourselves, right? Um, we can do these short-term experiments, whether you call them quick wins or what have you, um, but it's a sexy way of doing our work where the guarantee of handover is not always there. And I think that that's where we're always trying to reinvent ourselves to ensure that we have that sustainability to our work. So just quickly, before we intervene with this particular partner, they had about a 500 uh, user-based uh, network, right? 500 user-based network that were having uh, active demand for these job matching services. Well, so what we were doing was not to say whether or not they work or don't work. What we were testing was whether or not we can increase the uptake using various other platforms, right? So what we were able to do um, by the end of the five month period, we were able to increase that by a thousand percent. We had over 5,000 subscribers on that platform based on these different medias that I'm talking about. Uh, to date, we have over 8,000. Um, so the success um, was there. But what we've seen is that by taking up the, the cost that any end user could incur, uh, we were able to increase the demand, um, but it doesn't really change too much uh, as far as the, you know, the, the, the labor force goes, because they were being charged uh, a Dalasi per uh, SMS. Dalasi um, is a local currency. So one Dalasi per SMS, which is uh, cents US, uh, in, in terms of US dollars, it's, it's a matter of cents, literally five cents or so. Um, so I don't believe that we will face that challenge because the service is so affordable and accessible. What we just wanted to do is make sure that people knew about it. Um, so I think that that was the main issue uh, uh, there as far as sustainability. And when we tried to present our findings to the Ministry of Trade, oddly enough, um, and this is why sometimes... Um, innovation or public sector innovation needs to go hand in hand with what we are trying to do within the development organization. Uh, what we realized is a few months later, the government also created a new job matching service, building on our result rather than investing in maybe the IP we were working with, that's the implementing partner, um, they ended up creating an entirely new platform altogether. So um, I think, you know, the, the, the listener can decide whether or not that was a success or whether or not that's a duplication. But I think that that's healthy. Competition is always healthy. Um, with regard to the kinds of jobs that were being posted on a day-to-day -day basis, these were mainly white collar jobs. And that's where the challenge lay for us because we could not try to get these low-skilled jobs onto the platform. And when we found out that this was a consistent and recurring issue, uh, we tried to partner our implementing partner with another startup that was working on very low skilled jobs. Uh, and this partnership is still a budding one. So we are yet to be able to communicate any results there. But the jobs that we were receiving, again, were mainly from the development organizations and the private sector. And we face challenges with jobs from the public sector. Um, so, you know, in, in, in kind of a nutshell, that's kind of the issues we're facing with sustainability, but also just on the kinds of jobs. Um, and if I may here, uh, maybe ask questions to my co-panelists. I think for Ayinka, what I was really interested in is on the role of peer-to-peer -peer networks in the mentoring aspect of what you were talking about. I think um, that that's something that, you know, would be very interesting for me rather than those that have uh, success stories. Um, how's the role of peer-to-peer -peer mentoring with regard to uh, 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 the work that you're talking about? Um, and for uh, Lucas, it was just a quick question on the certification aspect that you were talking about um, for the job seekers. I just wanted to uh, 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 inquire about whether the public sector at all, whether it's the Ministry of Youth or Trade or uh, Employment, uh, had any validation uh, that they offered to this process. Uh, thank you.
And uh, so about the certification. So in this case, um, our corporation partner, the Harm B, they had a pretty good name recognition and they were not originally involved in the set. And they like kind of vouched for the certification process. We also included logos of the World Bank and Oxford University as kind of the research partners. However, now we are currently in talks about scaling it up, for example, with the city of Cape Town. And there has been quite some interest from like public sector entities that um, would certainly then put their um, like logo on things to certify and the skills. So it's definitely important that these signals come from credible sources. And I very much agree with. I'll briefly speak to the uh, context before I let that. Yinka uh, come to her answer. Um, so in our context, um, the platform that our partner has developed is actually quite large. So we have, they have a user base of more than 2 million active job seekers, which is actually a substantial fraction of the unemployed youth in South Africa. They've achieved this through like long, in a long process of kind of building their brand and regularly signing up and keeping in touch with work seekers uh, through like mobile phones mostly. Um, and on the other side, their size has allowed them to build relationships with big employers of uh, like non-white color employees, of entry color, uh, entry level employees, such as uh, fast food chains, supermarkets, those kind of uh, type of memories and they regularly hire um, stackers, restaurant stackers, cashiers, um, burger grillers, those kind of jobs you find plenty on the platform and it's kind of what they grew up with. This is of course somewhat specific to the context of South Africa where you have a relatively developed uh, formal sector and you actually have these large scale formal employers that employ um, entry level workers and multiple locations across the country. So it, it might be difficult to replicate in smaller, less formalized economies. Um, but that's kind of something that has worked relatively well, though even now they have to offer, um, like for firms to use their platform, they have to like support them quite a lot. And for a large fraction of clients, actually, they have to even enter the vacancies on the firm's behalf uh, on their own platform. It's not like if these firms, even the large ones, they don't do that by themselves, but rather they ask RMB to support them and post these uh, vacancies on their behalf. And that's what they do to ensure that there's sufficient kind of, well, the labor demand that is supply of jobs on the platform for these work seekers. Thank you, Lucas. And um and and Inka on, on peer networks from, from Omar. Yes, um so that's something in my research I actually found interesting because I did ask them about their business related networks, business related associations, and it was kind of a complicated thing in the sense that, first of all, those that tended to be part of these um, like business-related associations and networks came from more like low-income backgrounds, low-educational backgrounds, versus those that um, were had finished tertiary education and decided to take the self-employment route. They tended to be more solo and not really enmeshed in networks, which is, I mean, definitely a room for where intervention can come in in terms of connecting them more. 
But then also for those in low-income backgrounds, in terms of their associations, there are a lot of mixed feelings about these associations, kind of some people seeing them as um, kind of constrictive, as a way for ex extortion in terms of dues from the members. And uh, for quite a number of the population, they didn't really find them helpful. It was almost kind of a thing that they had to join and wasn't really a source of benefit for them. And so in terms of creating peer-to-peer -peer networks and what that will mean for young people, I mean, I definitely think it could be a resource, but then it needs to be done in such a way that it doesn't become like a hampering factor and doesn't become just another uh, burden for them that they have to join, but isn't really bringing benefits. So much, Inka, and, 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 and thanks for that kind of crossways section section of, of of the discussion um there are clearly so many links and and learnings in 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 common that we could explore in in much more depth if we had time but with an eye on the time um we are coming to the end now um, of the podcast so what i'd like to do is to suggest that we close with um with another round, um, just a kind of a short round of kind of final recommendations. Um, so I'm, I'm going to uh, turn to to each each of you, um, perhaps in the order in which we began um, with Inka and then Omar and then Lucas. And I'm just going to ask, you know, if if in an ideal world, if you had, you know, sufficient resources in the different contexts that you're working in, what would you in particular like to do in terms of job creation, advertising jobs, uh, reaching out to young people, skilled and unskilled, um, hooking people up with potential employers and employment? Could each of you just come up with um, a particular recommendation in closing? Turning to you, Inka, first. Okay, I think for me, my main emphasis and my main recommendation for all important stakeholders is on skills, of skilling youth, whether we are like employees or self-employed, because I mean, that's what will give them power when they have the skills needed in the labor market to be able to meet the needs. Um, so I think it's really focusing on first upping the education system and focus on delivering quality education. And even beyond that, for young people already out of school or in the labor market, finding ways to help them gain skills or to develop and improve on the skills that they already have. Thanks so much. Improvement of skills. Um, how about in your context, Omar? Um, I, the onus is not on the public sector alone, but I think that they create uh, one an enabling environment that would allow the private sector and industry and firms to be able to create jobs, right? And I think secondly, um, again, falling back on the private sector, part of having that enabling environment is ensuring that we have employment centers that are equipped to deal with the demand from uh, the, the 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 job seekers. So uh, it it it's, it needs to go in, in in tandem. But I believe that it starts with 
the public sector, creating one, the enabling environment, and two, being able to also have employment centers that are well-equipped, well-staffed, to be able to ensure that uh, uh, people entering the job market for the first time, or indeed in the job market, looking to reskill and upskill, have the resources to be able to do that. Um, and of course, there will always be a, a friend in the development organization, such as UNDP and the Accelerator Lab to do just that. Thanks so much, Omar. So again, sort of up, upskilling and making sure that the employment centers are there and are accessible to job seekers. And yourself, Lucas, your recommendation? It's a difficult question because I think there's no easy solution to the problem. To some extent, there are just not enough jobs and the kind of interventions at least that I've spoken about today kind of make it easier for work seekers to access these jobs and might at the margin improve employment, but they're not a solution for the problem as a whole. And I don't think there are easy solutions for the problem as a whole, the problem of job creation. And that's very much true um, for South Africa, but also true in Ethiopia. And I, hate to like close this um, podcast on a somewhat pessimistic note, but I really think this is, and the problem here is quite structural and it's not just about resources, but rather about institutional environments, about living conditions, education be, beyond just skills, but also kind of civic education and uh, like steering society in a direction, in a positive direction as a community. Easy, easily said as an outsider, and I'm not an expert on South African politics, but um, just as can, I think the problem is much bigger than what we have talked about here today, where we work on very important small issues, like small, they're big for the people involved, but they're, I think, relatively small in the grand scheme of things. And we, like, we need to find solutions for the like big things as well. And, but that's, often beyond the scope of like researchers, but rather the realm of politics then um, where we can have like an advisory role, but there's much more at stake. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lucas. I mean, it's always good to have a reminder uh, about the, the, the real world out there. Um, but I, I, I really value um, the emphasis on and on upskilling and on facilitating links in the labor market between uh, job seekers and between the demand and the demand that, that is out there. I'd like to thank you, all of you, um, all three of you so very much for this really, really fascinating uh, conversation. Um, there are some important take homes, I think that we've just been touching on uh, for those who've been listening, and very positive ways, I think, of moving forward with employment in African contexts, infrastructure and social media seem to be two vital aspects. So thank you so very much, Ia um, Yinka, Kusi Mensa, Omar Jagne, and Lucas Hensel for joining me today. And thanks very much from the Accelerate Hub. <laughs>